This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, midweek Wednesday, August 24th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. A former security executive at Twitter is talking about the company's alleged missteps. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the latest tally of pending home sales is out today. Let's see what it may signal for the housing market and the economy. We welcome in Bob. Bob Bruska, Chief Economist, Fact and Opinion Economics, based in New York. Bob, thanks for joining us today. It sounds like this is just the latest data point in a trend uh, that has been going on the entire year when it comes to uh, the decelerating housing market. The numbers that came out today, is this an inventory story uh, about a lack of inventory, or is this a higher interest rate story? Oh, well, inventory, uh, that's an interesting thing to talk about. Well, what, ha- what happens in these reports is they tend to look at inventory as the number of days of supply on hand. And, of course, what happens is if you have a given stock of homes for sale, and if the selling rate falls, well, then it's going to last longer, and so supply actually increases. And this is what's happened in the existing home sales report and the new home sales report that we've seen um, that the supply of homes actually is, is much higher. So it's, it's kind of a backdoor artifact to the fact that um, a demand has fallen off, demand's fallen sharply, the cost of, uh, of, of buying a home is up very sharply, the mortgage rates are more expensive than they were, and housing prices continue to rise. So uh, the dynamics right now make it very difficult for builders. We saw this in the Home Builders Report. Uh, we saw it for single-family home sales yesterday. Uh, it, it's a real problem. Uh, the, the market is under pressure. Is this a, a sign that the uh, housing market may be resetting after uh, some unprecedented activity over the last two years? Or is this just a, a, a larger one chapter in the larger story about the economy slowing down? Oh, I think those two chapters sort of get read back to back. Uh, I don't think that you can uh, uh, dismiss either one. I think that the housing market got overheated, and I think that very low mortgage rates were part of that story. And uh, I think now with mortgage rates going up and uh, possibly getting back to a more historically normal level, you're going to have to see home prices coalesce around uh moderately higher mortgage rates and we're still not sure what that's going to mean and it's not clear to me that you know, that the problems in housing have been solved we still may have a housing shortage and there could still be net real upward pressure on home prices and then with uh, shelter being a part of uh, the consumer price index um, the volatility in the housing market and possibly a deceleration in the housing market uh, what will that do as far as the overall fight against inflation is concerned 
Well, there may be some positive effects on inflation and that housing prices will uh, will reduce the, 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 the pressure on homes, on, on the CPI. But remember, the CPI looks at um, the services you get from home prices. They look at rental uh, costs, and rental costs are actually going up. Uh, if home builders are going to build fewer homes, then it's going to put more pressure on rentals, and rentals are going to cause rents to go up, and that's going to cause housing shelter in, in the CPI to be more expensive. So uh, to the extent that uh, you get some slowdown in housing, it's not clear you're going to get any CPI benefit for quite a while. Bob Bruska, Chief Economist, Facted Opinion Economics, based in New York. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, what's being revealed by the Twitter whistleblower? Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. A former Twitter security executive is alleging that the social media giant has misled the company board, shareholders, and the public. Let's get insight from Adam Levin, co-host of the podcast called What the Hack with Adam Levin and founder of Cyber Scout and author of the book Swiped, based in Nashville, Tennessee. Adam, thanks for joining us today. The whistleblower is the uh, Twitter's former head of security, Peter Mudge Zatko, and uh, he's coming out with these allegations in the middle of this uh, legal battle between uh, Elon Musk and Twitter uh, over the uh, over Musk's uh, attempts to pull out of the takeover bid. What are some of the allegations uh, that are coming out uh, from the whistleblower, and how do they dovetail into this legal fight? Oh, well, thanks for inviting me, Rob. Well, the allegations are, and this is a 200-page disclosure, which was sent to congressional committees, the SEC, the Federal Trade Commission, and Department of Justice. And what they're alleging is a lack of culture of security and that known vulnerabilities when it comes to security were covered up by Twitter's leadership rather than fixed or addressed. And, of course, we know that Twitter is rife with bots, and uh, it's, it's very concerning, especially if you think about the fact that, again, these are allegations, but Twitter is so in the moment. I mean, this is a platform where world leaders have chosen to make sweeping announcements from this platform. And he's alleging, for instance, that uh, there is unprecedented access to user data and that Twitter employees have higher than necessary levels of access And if you think about it, uh, you know, back in 2000, there was a hack of celebrity accounts where a teenager was posing as a Twitter employee and was able to compromise the accounts of Apple, Kanye, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Barack Obama. And were, were his allegations to be true, it sounds like Twitter hasn't learned its lesson from that. And when going down to the very root of the problem, it sounds like uh, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or other social media applications, it sounds like their founders just simply weren't capable or did not understand how powerful these tools would become in revolutionizing the communications landscape. I mean, when Jack Dorsey founded Twitter in 2006, chances are he didn't really imagine that this would be a way in which world leaders communicate, move markets, and move economies, and and uh, move diplomatic processes. No, I, th- I think you're right there. And and if you think about it, I mean, privacy wasn't that big a deal back then. I mean, you even had Bill Gates who was talking about the fact that, I mean, not Bill Gates, uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, that privacy was dead, which is a very disturbing statement to make. Uh, that's why people like Ann Kavukian, who was the former Information and Privacy Commissioner of Ontario, 
came up with a program and a concept called privacy by design, where you build privacy in at the core and not try to bolt it on. And the issue in those days is I want to create something that works, not necessarily that is secure. And of course, whenever you mix privacy and security and convenience, oftentimes convenience wins. So it's it's concerning, especially when if you think that access to a platform like this can have an impact that it has. Uh, let me take you back to Orson Welles and War of the Worlds, where in a in a radio show many, many years ago, they actually convinced half the country that Martians were invading the world and people were jumping off bridges and terrified. So imagine this platform with with not proper security uh, being a place where any statement could be made by anybody presumably representing themselves to be someone of import that could really shake up the world, move markets, move cryptocurrencies. It's pretty scary stuff. Adam Levin, co-host of the podcast What the Hack with Adam Levin and founder of CyberScout based in Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, an infamous movie theater flop involving customers is making a comeback. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. MoviePass, which was a major disaster in its first incarnation, is spawning a sequel or at the very least a reboot. Let's learn more from Tom Layson, media analyst based in Seattle. Tom, thanks for joining us today. MoviePass, uh, let me just say, there are some pe- I know some people who were, who were MoviePass subscribers uh, during its original incarnation, 2017 to 2019, and they really liked it. They thought the idea of you can pay a, a one flat price and see a movie anywhere at any time was really convenient to them. Was this a failure of idea or was MoviePass a failure of business model? Um, it's, it's really hard to say, probably business model, because I think that unlimited plan that they were running in 2017 probably just proved to be unsustainable. Um, and then, it, you know, it got knocked off in 2019, went away, it was purchased by a hedge fund, have all kinds of, you know, difficulties with both federal and New York state regulators for trying to, you know, front run subscription revenues and all kinds of problems. But now, um, Stacy Spikes, one of the original founders back in 14, owns it again and is launching this beta version of the resurrected service that happens tomorrow and it lasts five days. So the thing about this is membership is by invite only to select people in select markets. And if you get an invite, you can then pass that along to 10 friends. And uh, the word is returning users get extra points and users who watch ads on the app may get extra points. It's the rumored eye tracking software on that app. They'll be using reports back eyeball activity. They're the right activity um, while using your device's camera. So there's a bit of an advertising model here as well, um, which they're trying to move into. But if you need to, you know, let a movie ticket group on knockoff, watch you scroll through movie offerings while you're killing some time somewhere in your house, if you don't mind that, I guess all as well. And that as far, but the the the, the competition that uh, MoviePass is running into now uh, is the fact that uh, a lot of the major movie chains have come up with their own version of MoviePass uh, to keep you inside that theater system. And the other thing is just the fact that the the model of movie releases has changed. Now a movie yeah, is in is. the theater; it's, it's speed runs through the theater, and it's on a streaming service within like a month or six weeks. 
Yep, there's been a major investment in streaming. A lot of people have basically home theaters now, and that theater, that that window closes quickly. Um, but for real movie buffs who just love to take that new red card and uh, say, hey, listen, I paid my 10 or 20 or 30 bucks this month, and I want to see this movie, and they're willing to go back, I, I think it can be a good thing. The question is, how large is that addressable audience? And how robust is streaming become in the interim? Um, and, and how viable is this business model? Is it enough to pick up additional subscribers to maybe keep theater runners, uh, theater owners like Regal Cinema, uh, Cinemas out of bankruptcy? You know, they've been talking about that here. And uh, global box office is down by a third in 2019 and down by 50% by some measures uh, to compared to pre-pandemic levels here domestically. So is it too little, too late? That's going to be interesting to see. Tom Lason, media analyst based in Seattle, Washington. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. President Biden unveils his student loan forgiveness plan. Details next in a CBS News special report. Personal Finance Wednesday. Decisions that need to be made following the death of a loved one. And Apple is expected to unveil a new iPhone at an event next month. WBBM Business. The markets are mixed. The Dow has turned lower. It's down two points. The NASDAQ is up 38. The S&P 500 is up three and a half. Oil is up 30 cents, now trading at $94 a barrel. AccuWeather says mostly sunny, pleasantly warm today, a high of 85, closer to 80 along the lakefront. Then tonight, partly cloudy. Could see a thunderstorm towards dawn tomorrow, a low of 68. 83 right now at 1231. CBS News Special Report. President Biden plans to make good on a campaign promise and cancel $10,000 in student loan debt for millions of Americans and up to 10000 more for those with the greatest financial need. But CBS's Nancy Cordes says the plan is getting mixed reviews. Progressive Democrats who wanted him to go much further. Some of them wanted to, him to cancel all student loan debt for everyone. Others said there should be some sort of sliding scale depending on your income, but uh, he, he should forgive up to $50,000 in debt. And then on the other side of the equation, there were Republicans and some moderate Democrats. They worried that it would add to inflation. But those in debt say the president's plan would be a huge help. It's hard to start a family when you're in so much debt. It's hard to, like, you know, be willing to make, like, all these, like, big investments. Mr. Biden also plans to announce an extended pause on federal student loan payments throughout the end of 2022. CBS News Special Report. I'm Monica Ricks. And another developing story at this hour. First Lady Jill Biden has tested positive for COVID-19. And again, it's an apparent rebound case after she initially tested negative for the virus over the weekend. President Joe Biden spent three days with his wife at their vacation home in Delaware, continues to test negative. That's according to the White House. The president also experienced a rebound case earlier this month after his initial recovery from the virus. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Continues presented by the Village of Bedford Park. The markets are mixed right now. We're joined by Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer with Crescent Capital based in Chicago. Jack, thanks for joining us today. Uh, what caused the uh, morning rally to kind of run out of gas during the noon hour? Yeah, I didn't really see any specific evidence. Um, you know, we did have uh, lackluster home sales. 
Uh, that probably fueled a little bit of the rally, suggesting that maybe demand is going to weaken uh, on that uh, sector that really accounts for a, a big chunk of our economy. Uh, but beyond that, uh, perhaps uh, there's a little hand-wringing over what uh, Chairman uh, Powell will say at these uh, Jackson Hole meetings later this week. And then uh, it is Personal Finance Wednesday, and as we uh, try to uh, divine what uh, is going to be said at Jackson Hole when uh, Fed Chair Powell uh, steps down from the mountain, they're in Wyoming. Possibly uh, he'll be coming down from Devil's Tower. Uh, While we uh, try to guess what they're going to say, let's talk about this uh, investing strategy called the barbell. I mean, we talk about having a balanced portfolio. Uh, This takes the metaphor to the next level. Yeah, so um, a barbell strategy isn't really anything new. It just has a new name, perhaps. Uh, And what it attempts to do is use the bond market uh, and bond yields as an offsetting hedge against equities. Uh, when last year, when um, you know interest rates were virtually uh, zero across the board, uh, the bond market couldn't offer much of a buffer, and that was part of the problem uh, with a strategy like that. But now that we had a roughly two percentage point hike across the entire yield curve spectrum, uh, now there's more yield out there. And um, the, the premise is um, if um, the economy weakens or we have problems, uh, the stock market drops, but yields should come down. And so you would benefit uh, as yields come down, the prices of those bonds go up. And then what is one way that uh, you as an investor uh, can analyze your portfolio uh, to make sure that your uh, barbells uh, are in fact balanced because uh, you don't want to pull something? That's right. Um, certainly don't want to pull anything. Um, no, I think it's just a matter of uh, monitoring uh, the daily price action to make sure it's uh, behaving the way you would expect. Uh, what you're hoping for is one part of your uh, portfolio to zig while the other part is zagging. And uh, if, if your zig is too little and your zag is too much, then you'll need to buy more zig. And then, at an especially volatile time like this, uh, you know, how much you know active work do you have to do to stay on top of things? Is it a, is it a set and a set it and forget it type of strategy, or do you really have to stay on top of daily price fluctuations? Sure, um, the strategies that we pursue uh, are goals based strategies, meaning that you know our clients give us a set of cash flows that we're hoping to to meet. Uh, that you know, we, we hope to put in their checking accounts on the dates that they want them. And so for that perspective, we're really long-term investors. We know that you know, I can't predict what the, market, the equity market's going to do on a month-to-month basis, but generally seven years from now, and that's really the time horizon for equity investing for us, uh, we have a high likelihood we're going to make money in equity. So I think it's really taking a long-term perspective and aligning your goals with uh, the investments that you have. Great advice. Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer with Crescent Capital, based in Chicago. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, strategies to make things easier following the death of a loved one. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Personal Finance Wednesday. The death of a spouse or other loved one can generate trauma and emotion, but there are still some practical things that need to be done. Let's get some help from Bill Uliveri, owner of Seneca 
Cynical Capital Management based in Glenview. The website is cynicalcapital.com. Bill, thanks for joining us today. This can be a morbid conversation. It actually is a rather morbid conversation because who wants to talk about or think about or contemplate the death of a loved one? But uh, after the funeral is over and after, uh, after the mourners have gone away and you're alone with your thoughts, you have to also think about uh, some of the financial functions this other person served in your life and how do you access them and make sure they didn't take that knowledge to the grave with them? Rob, it's, it's a very complicated issue now. And, and estate planning is way more complicated since we have begun to increase the time and the amount of information in our digital footprint. So in the old days, the question was, hey, do I have the key to my mom's apartment? Now the question is, what happens when a loved one's been cremated and afterwards it's discovered that their cell phone was locked with a biometric fingerprint scanner or facial recognition? Uh, what happens if a loved one passes away and I've turned off their cell phone service only then to discover that their cell phone was needed because they had a two-factor authentication app on their phone and now I can't log into their bank account or their trading or investment account? I, and, and now the number's gone, right? It's been, been put into the hopper and given to somebody else. So, you know, recovering assets is certainly becoming increasingly difficult with so many people opting out of paper statements and receiving email statements or text messages and smartphone notifications. It's, it's more now than ever does somebody have to have a checklist, you know, before you pass away and ask those kind of questions. This sounds like something uh, that you could tack on to uh, if if you are developing a will and you've already talked to an attorney that uh, on your way to the lawyer's office or on your way home, uh, you might as well say, you know, let's get all of that stuff together. Email addresses, passwords, phone numbers, everything that we need to access bank accounts, uh, investing accounts, uh, social media and so on and so forth. Do that along with uh, along with your will. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a document that it's uh, very popular in the United States. It's been downloaded and used by more than 40 million people. It's called The Five Wishes, and it's a legal document that helps a family have a conversation for all those end-of-life issues, funeral arrangements, who do I want to make my, my you know, end-of-life decisions with. And we really need a five digital wishes or, or a document that, uh, that, that has a conversation of what is my username and password on my social media accounts? What are my PIN codes for my cell phone, you know, between four and eight digits? Do I have the ability or do my loved ones have the ability to log on to my email? Because sometimes when we use a phone, the company that we're trying to connect to senses that we're logging in from a different IP address and will lock up the account and then send an email message saying, hey, we noticed that you've logged in from a different location. Is this okay? If so, then we'll ignore it. But if your account's being hacked, please let us know. Uh, you know, two-factor authentication, is it an SMS text message to their cell phone provider, or is it through a Google app or other third-party applications? So it is way more complicated and a definite, uh, definitely an important thing to have a conversation with your loved ones and, and keep track of all this information in a folder set aside in a very secure location. And also, I mean, outside of just the, the financial stuff, uh, making sure that a loved one has access to your social media. So uh, uh, if you do shuffle off this mortal coil, uh, you have a way or a relative has a way of telling all of your friends that you've done just that. Absolutely. I, I believe Facebook has a portion of their security or their privacy settings that allow you to designate someone to manage your account after you pass away. 
And I have to be honest with you, Rob, I've never, I mean, I've configured it, but I don't actually know if it works. Uh, so I know that my wife will be responsible for all my stupid posts and, uh, and the good and the confusing ones and all the interests of uh, that I have. But at least she has access to manage my social media, my Facebook, my LinkedIn, Twitter, and all those things that I use to run my business. And besides, if it doesn't work, you won't be there to find out. Yeah, you know, my dad is very fond of saying that thing. I'm not going to be around until I let you deal with it. And I really don't appreciate it when he says that. Uh, but it is true. There is there's only so much we can do while we have uh, run this side of the mortal coil, as you say. Bill Uliveri, owner of Senecal Capital Management based in Glenview. Thanks for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. And still to come, Apple schedules a launch event for September 7th. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Apple will unveil its latest devices during a launch event in California two weeks from today. Let's get a preview from Shelley Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group, founder of the Met Academy. Follow him on Twitter at Shelley Palmer, based in New York. Shelley, thanks for joining us today. Uh, so let's uh, reach into our closets and pull out that black turtleneck because it's uh, Apple product <laughs> unveiling time once again. Uh, what are some of the new uh, devices uh, that uh, we will see at the this new uh, the event coming up in two weeks? Well, they'll probably show off what they're going to call the Series 8 Apple Watch, but and a lot of people will be excited about that because it is the number one best-selling smartwatch. But I think everything that they announce will pale by comparison to the four new iPhones they are supposed to be unveiling in four different sizes. And, of course, the new pricing and the new feature sets. Um, they will announce the next version of iOS as well. But... The big question for me, and I think for everybody, is if you've got a late model, either a 12 or a 13, do you need to drop everything and go for a 14? These phones are going to be on the high end more expensive. And unless you're on one of those uh, automatic new phone every year plans, which some people are, and then you're only going to be paying a few dollars more each month, so why not? But if you're a normal person like most of us who have to go and buy your phone or Leases from a phone company. Are you really going to need to drop another thirteen, fifteen hundred dollars on the iPhone 14 if you've got a 13? Now, if you're even considering that question, um, this is for you because most people who don't consider that question are just, you know, Apple supplicants, if you will. But, but I'm not sure there's enough features to justify jumping and running out and getting a new phone if you've got a 13. In fact, for some people with a 12. There might not be a reason either. And Shelley, very quickly, is is it because of those incentive plans and that people know what they need and know what they want? Uh, does the iPhone or, or new Apple products uh, have the ability to get people to line up outside the Apple Store on the day they're delivered? It's so interesting that you mention that we're we are very used to you and I seeing these long, long lines and the, the enthusiasts and the early adopters. Apple is such a large organization that I don't think those lines are going to be diminished. But don't be fooled because the economy is more difficult than it had been. These devices are not more full-featured than the ones before them. You will be missing out on nothing. You will be missing out on absolutely nothing if you don't upgrade this phone. So you're upgrading it because you want to, not because you need to. And I'd be very, it's going to be fascinating to see how this pans out. It's really different than the old days where there was all this buzz around, oh, there's a new iPhone. It's got, yeah, there's a new phone. I got a lot of other things I have to spend 1400 1500 bucks on right now. 
and my phone's working just fine. The pictures are just fine. The camera's just fine. The processor speed's good. It's a beautiful screen. Like, so it's going to be a little more beautiful, a little longer battery life, a little better phone, a uh, 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 camera. It's like, it's hard to imagine why people would get excited about this in a way they used to. We're going to see. Shelly Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group. Follow him on Twitter at Shelly Palmer. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.